let's pray and then read uh, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. Father, we come before you, uh, the author and the finisher of our faith. And Father, um, what we are about to dig deep into, Lord, I pray that you will give the ears to hear and the eyes to see. Uh, Father, um, it is a tremendous truth that I think sometimes we either take it for granted or we just don't understand it. And Lord, I just ask that you would help us, we, we who are called by your name, not only to understand it, but to be overwhelmed by it and, and to be so encouraged by it. And yet, Father, fight for it. Help us, Lord. Help us to have the heart of Paul, the heart of Christ, that uh, we understand what has been given us and yet, Father, what we are now responsible for. To your glory, amen. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some, letters of commendation or from you? You are a letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifest that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, But our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Uh, We will be dealing with this topic here in in point five uh, for the next few weeks, months to conclude this chapter. So uh, uh, take good notes. There will be a test. What we're looking at is comes out of the question sprung at the end of verse 16 in chapter 2. Who is adequate? Who is an adequate minister? And the Apostle Paul lays these five points out uh, that um, I would really ask that you guard these uh, because if it ever came time to find my replacement or you get transferred and need to find another church, uh, can the minister fall into this, these five. Um, and, you know, that's, that's the basis of it. Pod's, Paul said that, you know what, in verse 1, you know, the adequate minister has a, has a holiness that is evident, that is known. It, it, I don't have to have somebody write out a letter and you get secondhand information on the holiness of the individual. That's why he makes that statement there. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Meaning, do I have to start over to explain to you my life? To explain to you the patterns of my life, the focuses of my life, and the way I walked my life? He says, I need to start that over again. I was only with you for 18 months, day in and day out, teaching you from house to house. You guys know me. So, you know where the Apostle Paul walked. Second thing is, is in verses 2 and 3, the person, the adequate minister, has transformed lives. Has transformed lives. God has used them in their ministry to bring people to salvation and other people to be sanctified. All right? You know, I was thinking about the guys that we were teaching in Russia, before they could even come to us, all right, to even sit in on our classes, all right, now they had a whole but one that stood out to me was they had to be in the church active for 10 years, thus bearing fruit. Try that. Try that. You can't be taught unless you have been faithfully serving in the church for 10 years and bearing fruit. That's pretty good. I don't think you can pull that off in America. I mean, we have 
drive through churches, and I'm thinking that they're not going to wait 10 years of service. But that's one of the things that was amazing to me. Do we see people have, who have been used to transform lives? And when I mean transform lives, I'm talking about people who have come to salvation. And I'm not talking about the, the liver hair stand-up salvation. I'm talking that people came to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and have fallen head over heels in love with Christ. That's salvation. All right? And have you helped them to grow in the knowledge of Christ, which is that sweet aroma of life to the living and death to the dying. That's transformed life. But then verse 4, he says, they have a confident call. They're confident in their calling. Have you ever seen people who are afraid to share their faith? Why? Why would you be afraid to share with a lost person that, you know what? My hope ain't in Washington, D.C. My hope is in Christ. My hope isn't on this planet. My hope is in the kingdom of heaven. Why wouldn't I have confidence in that? But I know people who are afraid to share their faith. You know, and, and it comes up, you know, different ways. Uh, you know, I work on these motorcycles and I have to deal with some bikers every once in a while. And, and I'll have one come up and they'll go, uh, you know, they'll take the Lord's name in vain. And, and, and it's funny because then they apologize to me. <laughs> and it's, it's just an odd situation. And, you know, every once in a while they get it. It gets to flowing. And I said, you know what? You keep calling on Christ. What are you going to do when he shows up? Of course, that freaks him out. That's like, oh, gee. <laughs> but you know what? I am confident in my calling. I'm confident in this book. And you know what I learned? I don't need anything but this book. I don't need a method, a Romans road or a 40 days or um, a schedule of this or a schedule of that or anything like that. This book works. I've seen it work. All right? But I have a confidence in it. The Apostle Paul was confident in what he was doing. And he understood that because God called, then God has gifted. You know what that means? You're not lacking anything. <laughs> it isn't. Well, I, you know, you said you've got to be in the church for 10 years. Doing what? Bearing fruit, which means you have confidence. Okay? Then verse 5 and 6, first part of 6, you see that the, per, the adequate minister not only has an established godliness and it has been used to transform lives and is confident in his calling, has a humble dependence on God. A humble dependence on God. And this is crucial. Um, we have... Uh, we have too much stuff out there that proves that there is not a humble dependence on God. Uh, everybody and their brother writes a book on how to. Uh, then fill in the blank. <laughs> I mean, how do you want a godly marriage? How do you want godly kids? How do you want a godly ministry? How do you want a, a deliberate this? Or how do you want that? And you've got 40 days to do this. And you, got five, and you just go down and all the rest of it. You know, I'm going to write a book. I noticed that God works in 400-year cycles. So I was going to write a book on the 400 years of purpose. What do you think? Huh? I doubt if it's going to be a bestseller. Okay? Because you will only have to pass this down a few generations to watch it actually work. Maybe that's a key to Isaiah. No. <laughs> but it's stuff like this that when, when I, 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 I've had the privilege of speaking in some massive churches. And I can't hard, I. I get so nervous, I can't hardly spit if my hands are on fire. Okay? But God has been so gracious that every time I get into one of these big honking churches, He makes the light so bright in my face that I can only see like the front row. And that's really cool because it only looks like there's about 60 people. And it's like, ah, I can handle this. See, that's the kind of stuff... I'm, I'm not... I would never wish this on anybody to do what I'm doing. I've had people ask me if would I ever encourage my boys to, to go to the pulpit? And I said, no. And, and they said, really? I said, no. And if I 
could, I would steer them away from it. And they said, well, why is that? I said, I don't wish this on anybody. Okay, but I do know this. If God has called you, don't fight it. Don't fight it. I take great joy early in my walk with Christ to study Scripture. Because I was hungry. I wanted to know more about God. That was it. And I thought, well, if you really want to know about him, (laughs) read his book. Okay, so that's just what I did. And the next thing I know, here I am. Okay, and I still am a tad bit uncomfortable with this. But anyway, there's a dependence on God. All right, this is what you want, Lord. And let me only do what you want. All right. And it don't matter how awkward it is. It doesn't matter how unnerving it is. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. All right. Which brings me to the fifth one. The adequate minister. All right. Has a new covenant message. You see it there. At the end of verse six. He's servant of the new covenant. It's not of the letter, but of the spirit. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. What in the world is he saying here? Let me give you a text that you have read and you have heard and you have thought about many, many times. But I'm not sure that you really are doing what you think you are. Okay. And that's why it's going to take a little while to get through this comes out of Luke's gospel, chapter 22, verse 20, says this. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup which is poured out for you in the new covenant in my blood. Okay, the word new, even here in your text that you have in verse six, the word new means it's different. It's a different covenant. When you look at your Bible, if you open to the index, you'll see there that you'll have a section that is called the Old Testament and a section that is called the New Testament. Okay? The word covenant and testament are interchangeable. A covenant does not come into play until the death of the one Signer of the covenant. Did you know that? That's why we write in our Bibles the testament. Have you ever heard of the last will and testament? Okay, the last will, the deceased, this is the deceased will, desire. Testament is his promise or her promise. Okay, so when you look at your Bible and you see on there Old Testament or Old, New Testament, you can say this is the Old Covenant or the New Covenant. Okay, now God's covenants are a little bit different than ours. Ours takes at least two. Okay, I have a last will and testament. If something happens to me, this is how I want my possessions divided. This is my desires. Okay, God's covenant says, I'm doing this and I don't really care what your response is. Okay. When Jesus instilled in us and gave us what we call the Lord's table, he's saying, I have a promise. And the promise is going to be symbolized by this cup which is to symbolize my blood, which would be spilled out for the fulfilling of my promise. Okay? This is the new covenant. This is the promised new covenant that Ezekiel and Jeremiah spoke of. This new covenant, this different covenant, let me give you its foundation. It would do what the old covenant could not do. 
Anybody want to guess what that is? Takes away sin. Did you hear what I said? Well, no, you mean it forgives sin. No, I meant what I said. It takes away sin. All right. Jesus in his death was able to accomplish what all of the blood of bulls and goats could never accomplish. By one offering, one offering forever perfecting those who were set apart from sin unto God. All right. This new covenant, the work of Christ on the cross in his death, his resurrection, which was that that was necessary to put in effect the new covenant. Okay, that's why he says here at the end of this verse. Not by the letter, but by the spirit, the letter kills the spirit. Gives life. See, the penalty of sin is death. The new covenant does what? Gives life, which means it has to do what? Remove sin. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you think about all the sheep and lambs and pigeons and doves and everything that were slaughtered saying, why didn't you do this earlier? <laughs> we could have been working at McDonald's. His resurrection brings into effect the new covenant. He spilled his blood. But to say that it was accepted, he had to be raised from the dead. There's all kinds of people who have died for God. There's only one got out of the grave. That is this new covenant is that which sin is forgiven once for all forever. And that, my friends, is the heart of the Christian gospel. The preaching of it is the task of every minister, every servant, you have nothing else to offer. Not even Mediterranean style potluck. The preaching of the gospel, unadulterated, uncompromised is the establishment of this new covenant and it is brought into the human life by the Spirit-given faith in Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection. The church in Corinth, sadly, was hearing something else. The false had come in and the false teachers, now pay real close attention to this, and you're going to see how obvious this is. Okay? The false had come in, and when false come in, I can always spot them because they do not preach the new covenant. In fact, many of them preach the old covenant. They come in with... Here's how it works. They come in with the message of faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? I believe. I believe. I believe in Christ. I believe in His death, His resurrection. I, I believe. I believe in faith. That's the only way. No, that's the only way you're going to get saved. Okay? But also, they have a message that comes from the law of Moses. And they blend the two together. The covenant, the new covenant is founded on the cross. And Paul told us in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians that that's foolishness. To those who are 
perishing. The resurrection by salvation, by grace through faith. Amen. Let me tell you something about that statement right there. That's what the Catholics believe. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe. The Mormons believe. Should I go on? So that means we are all together. Really? Paul's path was dogged by those who came and said, we believe in Christ. We affirm Christ. But that's not exactly enough. We must hold on to the Mosaic law. Okay, what I mean by the law, I'm not talking about the moral law. Okay, I'm talking about circumcision, rituals, ceremonies, Sabbath days, new moon days, the Feast of Tabernacles. Really? We're supposed to... Do those? I remember in, in uh, was it 98? Yeah, 98, 1998. Uh, large evangelical groups were telling Christians to go and celebrate the Jubilee celebration in Israel because that was their 50 years. We don't do that. For one thing, that's not my, my, my land. I am not of the tribe of anybody. <laughs> I don't want to hear no smart remarks. not only that I watch in some cases that people will take this and they will say if you do not do these laws and these rituals and these you will not enter the kingdom of heaven it was a perversion that the apostle Paul in his uh, merciful speaking called another gospel that's what he called it okay It was this that Paul said was an effort to take. Remember the letter, I think it's chapter three. You have begun in the spirit. You are now perfected in the flesh out of Galatians. What were the Galatians doing? They were taking faith in Christ and blending it with the mosaic traditions. We call it Judaizers. I see it today. I can say it in Catholicism. I see it all over the place in Catholicism. Okay? But I can see it in the Mormons. I, I see it in Jehovah's Witnesses. I see it in, in, in all of the outside of Christian teaching. I see it all over the place. But one of the things that is disturbing me the most is now I see it in the church, in the body of Christ. We have all of these systems And teachings that you come in and you do this and this and this and this and this is going to happen. Let me tell you something about the 40 days of purpose. Do you know why they chose 40 days of purpose? Okay, have you ever read it? I had to read it. If if you're going to come against something, you better know what it says. Okay, here's the reason I'm against it. It's basis, it's foundational basis. Okay, is that if you do something for 40 days, it will then become a habit. What is the difference between that and you have begun in the spirit? You are now perfected in the flesh. What's the difference? There, yeah, yeah. It's, I can't start a habit in 40 days. <laughs> That's where I'm going with the 400 years. This is what Paul calls a yoke of slavery. In the Galatians, he says you are being entangled in a yoke of slavery. See, he even gets to a point now. And now I'm not saying this, okay, because I don't want you guys to run out of here and say, Terry, he says they're all going to hell. I'm going to tell you what Paul says. He says, if you have begun... In the spirit are perfecting it in the flesh. You have entered and are entangled in a yoke of slavery. And if that is what you're hoping in. 
for your salvation, you have made Christ of no effect. I'll let you interpret it. What's he saying? Jesus said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. If you will remain in me, I will remain in you. This very thing, this is this external code. This is this the ceremony or this system. If I do this and this and this, then this is going to happen. Paul had turned his back on that. If you go back to the letter to Philippians, I think it's in chapter 2 or 3, he talks about his credentials. These are my credentials. I am an Israelite. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I had knowledge. I, when it came to theological understanding, I was a Pharisee. And I count that as a pile of dung. All of it. All of it. So, in defending his adequacy as a minister, his authenticity, he addresses the fact And if you're going to examine a man to see if they're adequate, to see if he's real, listen to the message he proclaims or she proclaims. Say, see, is it a new covenant? Is it the new covenant message? See, here's here's the amazing thing about this. These first four, that I laid out here on this outline? They speak of the minister's character. Now, we move to his content. What is his message? What is her message? I hear people a lot of times give good, good advice. Okay? You know, I remember somebody one time said, you know, that if, if, if you lose your spouse, and I don't mean misplace it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she was there a minute ago. Um, okay. But you have a death of a spouse. They said, you shouldn't make any big decisions for a year. Now, listen, I thought about that for a minute. And I thought, you know what? That's probably good advice. Don't make any big decisions for a year. Sound advice. Why? Because you still got emotions and all kind of weird stuff going on and uh, grief and, and oh no and oh and here's this. And so, okay, that's probably good advice. But have you never thought about this? What's the biblical precedence for that? <laughs> there isn't one. Okay, but you would say that was good advice. Okay, I wouldn't give it as a pastor, I wouldn't give it as a minister of the gospel. If it was a woman, I would say, you know what? There's a special place in God's heart for widows. If I was you, I would not be worried. That would be my counsel. Well, that sounds, you know, how do you know that's going to I'm just telling you. You go look at widows in there, it's all over the place. So we move from the first four points, which is the character of the minister, to the content. What does an adequate minister say? Okay. Well, it says that he is a servant of a new covenant. It says that he is a dutiful slave. Did you see that? That, that Where you see servant right there? We have gotten a little political correctness in our translations. It means slave. We're not allowed to say that anymore. I'm not sure why, but we're not allowed to. It says that they are a slave of the new covenant. They are a steward of this new covenant. This should be... Remember when Paul says, I was determined to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified? I wonder what that's based on. Oh, the new covenant. And yet I watch people want to read books about the Bible. And they'll stand in lines sometime to read books about the Bible. But do we really understand what the new covenant is? What is the message? I want to take you back. I looked at this a couple of weeks ago, but I want to take you back to Acts 15. 
Acts 15. This is a Jerusalem council meeting. Okay, Barnabas and Saul had showed up in Jerusalem saying, you ain't going to believe this, guys. We've been preaching all up in Asia. And Gentiles are getting saved. I mean, really, coming to the salvation in the Lord. Can you guys believe this? So they had a meeting, a powwow. If you read the context, verse 4 of chapter 15, when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all all God had done with them. So who's there? You've got the elders in the church. You've got the apostles. I mean, these are the guys. You remember the guy who got out of the boat and walked on water? He's one. So you just go down the line. You're sitting there and go, whoa, dude. There, this is. And then you've got the whole church sitting there. And this is like the first Baptist church. Okay? Jewish Baptist church. Whatever. All right? But look what happens. In the church, in this group, that Barnabas and Paul are sharing with, he says here, some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up and saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Huh. Hmm. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, duh. Remember Peter, who's one of the apostles? He has the vision with all the food coming down out of heaven. You know what that means? Peter, anointed by the Holy Spirit, preached twice and 8,000 people were saved was adhering to the dietary laws of Judaism. And so God says, give thanks and eat all of this. And I'm going to make it burned into you, Peter, because as soon as he got done, he says, there's some men from Joppa coming and you need to go down there. Oh, by the way, did I tell you they are Gentiles? The first person that Jesus shared who he was with publicly was the Samaritan woman at the well. And that's worse than a Gentile. He was trying to get the point across. That that, that is similar to Zodiades wanting to put the gospel in Playboy magazine to speak to a Samaritan woman. You're going to what? Well, they're not going to read it. Some do. Do you hear what I'm saying? And yet, you know what? You and I are guilty of this very thing. Well, you just don't, I can't believe they're acting that way. Look at it. Read on. After much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Who just said that? Peter. Peter took it to Joppa. All right. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit. Remember when the Samaritans got saved? And they went and got John and Peter to prove it? All right. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, Jew and Gentile, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore... Why do you put God to the test by placing upon their neck, the neck of the disciples, a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Brothers and sisters, is it any more clearer? Is it any more clearer? If you come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you do not have to become a Jew first to enter into the kingdom. It's one of the things I get myself into trouble with when I hear people saying, I am a Messianic Jew. What the heck is that? Am I a Messianic Gentile? I attend a Jewish church. What is a Jewish church? 
See, the Apostle Paul, who was a Jew of Jews, he said there was Gentiles, Jews, and the church. When you enter into the body of Christ, we are one. That's the new covenant message. The blood of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection makes those who believe can come by faith one in Christ. There's not Jews in the church and Gentiles in the church. It is the church. See, adequate ministers need to be judged on what they proclaim. The true does not mix the Mosaic law. Okay, now, when I speak of the Mosaic law, I am not speaking of the Decalogue. Okay, that's the moral law. The Mosaic law is the feast. Okay, the, the Passover. There's nothing wrong with seeing it and knowing it. But you, I'll show you in a minute. This new one in his blood is distinct from the old. Let me show you. Go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter, I don't know, pick a chapter. No, chapter 3. Ephesians 3. Now remember, the Ephesian church, quick history lesson. Paul rolled into Ephesus and he ran into some guys. Who were they? Disciples of John the Baptist. And they, he asked them if they believed. So who were the disciples of John the Baptist be? Jews. And he asked them about baptism. They said, we've had John's baptism, which was a baptism of what? Repentance. Okay. He says, so, you know, all right, we've got a baptism of repentance. We've heard about it. He said, well, you've heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, no. All right. And he said, well, and he explained the gospel to them. And they believed because they knew who Jesus was because John had kept telling them about Jesus' coming. Okay. And so they knew who it was. They believed and boom. Guess what happened? A church was born. It's amazing. And it didn't take 40 days. It didn't take a crusade. It took one guy saying, hey, Jesus died for your sins, buried, rose from the grave, seated at the right hand of God. Do you believe? This is what Paul says. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which has been given to me for you. By that by revelation, there was made known to me the mystery, which I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations has not been made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific, that Gentiles and fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus, how? Through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which he has given to me according to the working of his power. Wow! Something was hidden, a mystery. It's now revealed. It's new. It wasn't seen before. Because Paul says, I was called to preach. I have a responsibility. The adequate minister says, I have a responsibility to the original message. The new covenant. The new covenant. And I put my trust in that new covenant. That new covenant. When you see mystery there, know this. It is the new covenant. It is the New Testament. It 
It's been revealed. It's been hidden. Remember? It was hidden, he says. It hadn't been, it hadn't been seen. You can read it and understand it now. Which in other generations, that's not been made known to the sons of men. We didn't understand it. This thing called the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. This new message is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. This new message, this mystery, it means that the Gentiles are fellow members. It means that they are part of the body of Christ. It was a mystery. The Jews didn't see it. It's that gap in the 69th and 70th week of Daniel. That's the church age. Where we are one in Christ. I get get so We want to be united. We are. We are. We just need to maintain the thing. That's the silly thing. Well, we need to work on being united. Oh, gee. Well, you know, there's some things we will have to divide over. Well, you missed that one, didn't you? Fellow partakers of the promises of Christ. And it's all through the gospel. Did you note that? Please note that. It ain't got nothing to do with systems or methods or anything like that. It says it will all be through the gospel. Gospel. What's the point? Gentiles are all, are all, they're all heirs. They're all partakers. They're all part of the promises. They are all members of the body of Christ. And they don't have to be a Jew to do it first. They don't have to do any ceremonies to do it first. They are fellow members of the body. They are partakers of the promise. They are partakers of Messiah's promise of salvation. They have all of that's coming to them that is temporal and eternal through the person of Jesus Christ. And it all comes through the gospel. And I'm trying to figure out why so many quote-unquote ministers today have canned the gospel for other things. How's come? The message of the New Testament. Gentiles do not have to come by way of Judaism. They do not have to come by circumcision. They do not have to come by any of the Mosaic traditions. Now listen, this is an extraordinarily hard message for the Jews at the time of this writing. Okay? It is a hard thing for a lot of Jews today. That's why you have, quote-unquote, Messianic uh, congregations. I want to show you something else. One more text. And then I'll wrap this up because it's going to take me a... About 11 years to get through this. Letter to the Hebrews. See, the Jewish people, it's funny because Peter even made that statement in the Jerusalem council. It says, uh, our forefathers couldn't, couldn't bear this yoke. Uh, we can't bear this yoke. And now we're going to make the Gentiles bear this yoke. Okay. Um, they believed that you had to come in through the Jewish people. To come to God. Okay. And Hebrews chapter 5. Or chapter 8. I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 8. Verse 5. Verse 4. We can kind of give it its flow. Now if he were on earth. This is all of Jesus. If he were on earth. He would not be a priest at all. Since there are those. Who offer the gifts according to the law. Okay. Do you see what he's going back to? The Jewish traditions here. Offering of the gifts. See, I couldn't go before God. I had to give it to my priest. And my priest took it to the altar. And then he took it before God. And so you always had a mediator. Okay. All right. He says, Jesus wouldn't be the priest. Okay. Because he's already filled that void. You don't need a priest no more. All right. So here's what he says. Who serve a copy a shadow of the heavenly things just as moses was warned by god when he was about to erect a tabernacle for see he says that you would make all things according to the pattern was shown to you on the mountain but now he here this he is jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry by which as much as he jesus is also a mediator of what a better covenant which has been acted on better promises. So what he says here is that old covenant was a shadow. 
okay? There was a reality to it. But if you go back to the Mosaic law, all it does is point to Christ. That is all it does. All right? And he's saying, see, that was the shadow. Now you have the reality. The difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the Old Testament is the promise and the New Testament is the fulfillment. So I don't have to go keep the Sabbath day. I don't have to go keep the new moon celebrations. I don't have to go do the Feast of Tabernacle or Yom Kippur or any of the other things. Because I am in the New Covenant. In the heart of the New Covenant, Paul says, I was a minister. That's what he told the church in Ephesus. I was a minister. I was called to be a minister to the Gentiles for your sake. My job is to preach to the Gentiles the riches of Christ and unfold the mystery. And you know what? We talk about expository preaching. Okay? And people say, well, expository preaching is verse 1, chapter 1, and you cruise through the book. No, that's textual preaching. Expository preaching is explaining it. All right? And now you know why I'm an expository preacher. I have a mystery and I am trying to unfold it in my foolishness so that somebody else might understand it. And then maybe you go and tell somebody else, you know, this foolish preacher told me. <laughs> And I already knew that, but he acted like it was a mystery. <laughs> Paul is preaching Christ. That's the gospel. Gentiles may come immediately to God, be fellow heirs, to be partakers, to be members of the body of Christ. It centers on the cross and Paul's... Inst- when you look at the, the, the new covenant, the, the, the cup and, uh, and the bread in First uh, Corinthians 11... This is the cup which is in my blood of what? The new covenant. The new covenant. It was ratified not in the blood of bulls and goats. The Abrahamic covenant. Abraham got knocked out. Remember? And he had cut up the bulls and goats. And only one walked through it. And it scared Abraham. I always love that part. (laughs) Yeah, there's God walking through my bloody mess. I'm in trouble. (laughs) This new covenant was ratified in the blood of Jesus Christ, Son of God, God incarnate, Messiah Christ. All right, with that in mind, then you have to know this. This new covenant is the only covenant that is in effect in the terms of God's saving purposes. Got it? So the adequate minister comes along. He does not preach legalism. He does not preach ceremonies. He does not preach rituals. He does not preach rites. He preaches only Christ, crucified, raised in the entrance to the kingdom of God for all who will believe. And if the adequate minister is preaching anything but that, he has a problem. The new covenant gospel must be the message of the adequate preacher. Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 2 says, I was determined to know nothing, nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Okay, that's the new covenant, brothers and sisters. And I'll pick it up next week when I deal with the second part of that verse because one is a killer and the other one gives life. Yay. Sounds like a thriller show, doesn't it? Father, thank you for my brother Paul and thank you for this mystery that you have revealed before us all. Father, we are one in the Spirit. We are one in Christ. 
we are one in the body for all who believe. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. And Father, even now, I know there are many questions. And Father, I pray that even now you're preparing hearts to hear the answers, whether they like it or not. Father, help us to have ears to hear. Help us to have hearts open to these amazing truths that I see over and over. Paul was absolutely freaked out over. Father, let us be freaked out as Paul, that we are one in Christ and Christ alone. To your glory and praise, amen.